friends to the beautiful toilet it's a very special honor to have dana the host of the pleasure helmet uh what else uh how would you describe yourself thank you for having me um i don't know i'm a desperate artist i try to be an artist but i just make stuff now i'm making music trying to make music Mm-hmm. What's yeah. your uh, preferred medium other than podcasting? Just music? Are you an uh, audio person? I mean, bef- bef- before uh, before the podcast, I used to write and paint, but I found that people don't read a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I love talking to people. Um, so I, uh, I started the podcast. It's just an amazing opportunity to talk about things you like. Uh, yes, I understand your people, grievance. Force people to listen to it somehow. <laughs> yeah, I understand your grievance with uh, writing because I found that um, even trying to get my friends to read my writing is like pulling teeth. Yeah, um, definitely. Let, a- let alone ran- random strangers that have no interest in me personally. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> at the same time, like honestly, like uh, having my friends listen to the podcast isn't much better. So. <laughs> Yeah, like I tried to get my brother to listen to my podcast and he's like, I'm scared to listen to it. I don't know. Oh, really? Like, Wait, does your brother in- listen to podcasts? or? He, he does, but he doesn't want to listen to mine because <laughs> he would be embarrassed for me if I made any mistakes or something. Like, come on. But yeah, I think there's um, like a barrier to entry for like a lot of normal people in terms of podcasts. Like they just yeah. like 
you know, they can't really get over the hump and like really get into it. And so it, every time they put on a podcast, they just like immediately like want to switch to music because you really have to immerse yourself in it a little bit to get yeah. the feel, you know? Definitely. Yeah. What are you drinking? What's that? Oh, this is a uh, Cuddy Sark, like the, like the poem. Do you know the bridge by Hart Crane? No. Oh, so the bridge is like Hart Crane is an interesting writer. He's like a modernist, like contemporary of like T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound. And he was in the same circles. Oh. But um, he was unusual in that. Well, he was American and he was very interested in like articulating like an American identity. And like many of the writers in his scene, he was like a raging alcoholic. But unlike the mm. rest of them, he actually like wrote when he was drunk and Mm -hmm. so his poetry has um i think there are certain obstacles of understanding to or or it kind mm -hmm. of lacks coherence and intelligibility in many ways even though he has I like, like the same yeah he has like the same kind of like broad like conceptual vision of like someone like t.s mm -hmm. Eliot, but without like mm -hmm. the lucidity or kind of like cohesiveness mm -hmm. that brings it together and so if you were if you read the bridge i, I recommend it it's definitely worth reading but it is mm -hmm. um very scatterbrained in many ways but there's a chapter in the bridge mm -hmm. called cuddy sark after the scotch mm -hmm. whiskey and uh which i That's guess nice. in turn is named after a ship it says the spirit of adventure lies in saul it is mm -hmm. the courage of our convictions the mark of true character and the desire to be different it is the original easy drinking scotch <laughs> love it so yeah you asked me what i listen to as in podcasting yeah podcasting. or yeah what's uh what are your influences in general yeah, um i mean <laughs> i started listening uh to um jack the perfume nationalist <laughs> mm -hmm. and then uh it kind of introduced me to a lot of other podcasters like um zach from i'm so popular you had on your show and i love contain mm -hmm. uh i love the project of barrett it's it's really interesting and uh, like he keeps changing uh the themes that he works with and is very innovative and yeah and your podcast as well it's amazing oh really thank you <laughs> yeah i love podcasting it's a it's a great medium mm-hmm well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you seemingly have a lot of interest in recorded sound qua sound. And mm -hmm. I'm very interested in like kind of like prying into the formal poetics of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, just part of my motivation in podcasting is that I find that I'm generally not very musically talented. Um, mm -hmm. You know, maybe I mean, I don't know an instrument, so I would never know if I have like an innate like talent for music theory or anything like that um but i have no reason to believe that i'm like a great musician or whatever and yet mm -hmm. i am interested in the uh formal aspects of recording sound and what that entails and so podcasting just seemed like the natural kind of uh way to do that without any like formal uh conservatory training yeah yeah um, definitely <laughs> so and and part of my aspiration is to create something that could only be a recorded product that could never really mm. be a live performance. And so that's why I make people listen to weird Chinese music. That's mm. why I use like pretty aggressive editing and 
um, sound effects or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was just interested in uh, knowing your thoughts on like the medium itself and what that kind of allows for. Mm, uh, it's 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 interesting because there are ways in doing podcasting where it's just you know what you are going into and uh, you're listening to a certain like two people talking about a topic or some some kind of expert on something but like the way it's done now anyone can actually like talk and record their conversations and it gives you this voyeuristic privilege to like listen to conversations you wouldn't really listen to uh, or expect to be recorded and like I think my podcast was about that like I would have conversations with my friends and I've always wished that I can just like record them and keep them for eternity or something and like when I started listening to other podcasts like also I don't know if you know Ashley from uh from girls chat yeah oh uh, I love girls chat girls chat is like yeah. a big influence on the beautiful toilet yeah like her show created an entire world and an entire myth around it and when you listen to an episode you're dragged into multiple forces and tensions like i don't know she comes into the episode and you don't expect what's going to happen are um, you talking about her solo show or are you talking about like girls chat proper i mean yeah girls chat proper and then her her solo show later Mm -hmm. uh like she did this episode with hunter from liturgy and i thought that it's going to be this professional episode about music and stuff but then it it, it turned out to be something completely different and interesting and weird and uh, yeah i just think that when two people talk to each other in general like if you meet a stranger and start talking to them somewhere you'll discover interesting things about how humans connect and yeah, like how we express our ideas and stuff. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought up girls chat. That's uh, the yeah. single biggest influence on the beautiful toilet. Um, that's, yeah. I, I think it's the greatest podcast of all time, as far as I'm aware. It's, um, yeah. and that's an energy that I always aspire to, but I always feel like I fall short of, I feel like, uh my conversations kind of like trend very cerebral whereas girls mm -hmm. chat is like very intuitive mm -hmm. and it's just like about like the spectacle of like uh like i love the episode where they have um nick's land and um what's his name uh school shooter and it, it it's kind of conceptualized as this like incel versus gender acceleration is showdown wow. and instead it's just like but it's like fireworks it's just like it doesn't end up anything like that and like part yeah. of the beauty of girls chat is that it never really ends up like what they plan for like they wanted to bait like sam pritchard yeah. to like say a bunch of problematic shit and then and then he doesn't really and instead it just becomes like this really weird like uh psychiatry session like um, exactly and as a listener when you are dragged into that space you you also become part of it like you become complicit and then you're also surprised by what you're listening to and i love that and of course i can't do that either because 
Yeah, usually when I, in, in my shows, I just uh, have normal conversations with people about things mm-hmm. they love and things I'm passionate about. But then it's just very, I don't know, sweet and warm <laughs> rather than mm-hmm. crazy energy, to be honest. <laughs> I, th- I think the beauty of Girls Chat, like the reason why it works is because they're prostitutes. Like they are very <laughs> adept at making people like putting people at ease and making them I mean, comfortable. The, and then they the, just the, like expose themselves and i don't even mean that in a pejorative way they just like show the true (laughs) essence of their person so like (laughs) but the thing is that you know at least ashley of what i've known of her and i've i've talked to her actually i've um Mm -hmm. i've paid a hundred dollars to be on girls talk and we talked for three hours oh that was you no 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 we didn't uh we were i was one of these people who did that because Mm -hmm. later on other people did it but uh it was before she quit podcasting and she didn't release it, but it was also very, uh, it was very powerful because she talked about how she doesn't like podcasting and how it's evil and how she doesn't like anything that she did on Girls Chat. She like completely disavowed everything she's done. Um, and uh, yeah, like her show changed dramatically over over the period she did the podcast became christian mm-hmm. it became it became so many things and then it became part of her uh, history somehow like her story with the uh, angel and the way she died and everything i don't know if you know that like her mm-hmm. girlfriend uh, died mm-hmm. and, and she sold everything she had and stuff so yeah it's it's a uh, yeah well that's know. part of the reason why i make uh sure to distinguish between girls chat and like the subsequent like angel solo podcast girls talk because i really think like the subsequent show is i mean they're both like kind of sincere in a different way but like there's like a meaner edge to girls chat it it it, you know it always kind of seems like it's at someone's expense whereas um girls talk the later show is it really seems like she's just like trying to approach people in good faith and um (laughs) you don't like that come on no i do i mean i love them both like they you know it's like uh it's like masculine and feminine you need both to survive and like uh yeah i i I really uh i appreciate them both for what they're worth i i don't even necessarily have a preference for one or the other i think that girls chat is probably more spectacular it brings it really brings the fireworks it's like the bread and circuses but i think like uh the subsequent show is probably like actually like very spiritually edifying and um Mm -hmm. yeah but anyway in general i try to avoid uh talking about other podcasts on my podcast but uh given this is girls (laughs) chat you know i I, once i go off like it's like it's like one of my passions so yeah And uh, yeah, the whole the whole idea of actually someone sitting down and listening to two people talk about nothing is uh, quite miraculous. So that's why podcasting is really a special medium. It's very intimate. And it's like, like when John McAfee died, I just like immediately thought like, oh no, he's he's gone to join Angel in the Eternal podcast or um, yeah, Angel in the Eternal podcast in the sky. You know, <laughs> it, it just like colors the way that I perceive like all of these people that are just around now. Like Glenn Greenwald is always like, you know, he has a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, and I like uh, I like the pleasure helmet because, and I told you this, but it's like 
it really feels like a labor of love. It's like a mm -hmm. testament to like things that you value and want to promote and talk about in just yeah. like a very affirmative way. And, um, and you know, a, a testament to that is that it's only available on SoundCloud, <laughs> which <laughs> is so. I'm I'm like the Sound SoundCloud rapper of podcasting. <laughs> not, but What's not your, rapping, what was your sadly. what was your rationale behind that? Like, why is it that you like to upload SoundCloud <laughs> exclusives? Uh, nothing. Literally, I don't know. Uh, I didn't think that I should actually upload it anywhere else, but. Now I realize that I'm the, I'm one of the only, you know, like other people promote it on Spotify or other applications. But I don't know. I, I've never wa wanted to become viral or I didn't become, I haven't become viral. I just know that some people know my show and some people listen to it and that's it. I didn't care. I just wanted to upload it somewhere. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm making music on SoundCloud on the same account. So mm -hmm. it's cool. I think there's a, a lot of justified skepticism of like clout seeking and fame seeking mm. and whatever else, um, because it's very easy to see how there's like a cynical quality to that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like it's actually very reasonable to seek clout in that way, in that like um, your audience, your reach and your clout, so to speak, is a reflection of like your ability to reach an audience and to be influential in the things that you care about and so i think in another yeah. um in another way like uh cloud seeking is also a labor of love i think the hmm. paradox of it is that it kind of becomes an idol in itself and it can displace like the actual like uh object of your passion um if you let it run amok but nonetheless i think it's very reasonable to seek like a wider audience yeah, definitely. Especially if like, I mean, yeah, like uh, doing any kind of work of art, you can't like I, some people say, oh, I just paint for myself. I just write for myself. Like for me, I can't do anything unless there's a gaze that will look at it, that there's someone that's going to receive it uh, and it needs to be seen. It needs to be out there. So we're all like seeking any kind of uh, connection and recognition with a wider audience in general but uh, yeah cloud seeking is I think it's a different thing no like if you're just saying controversial things for the sake of it just to stand out or just to piss people off but sometimes that's interesting sometimes it's mm -hmm. performative in a very positive way I mean mm -hmm. We we're talking about like Kanye West or something, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think he's cloud seeking. I think he's very genuine about what he's doing. That's why he's a genius. Oh yeah, oh, he's like uh, genuine to a fault, if anything. But like yeah. that's why I value him so much and his like place in like public life. Um, yeah. Like, um, if someone is doing something that is genuine and powerful and strong you will sense that mm -hmm. um, I'm of the same mind in terms of uh, creating art for oneself versus for an audience in that mm. like I certainly wouldn't be doing anything if it weren't for an audience like I think yeah. like the beauty of it is that like it, it promises to connect you with someone you may not even know personally yeah. uh, or you know if you're like a small creator and pretty much all of your uh, listeners or whatever your audience does know you personally then 
even so, like, it's still, like, a matter of, like, creating something that registers with someone else and, like, trying to be, you know, trying to bridge these, on some level, indestructible divisions between individuals, between yeah. the self and the other. Um, and uh, so I don't think that this ideal that some people have that, like, art should be, like, totally solipsistic is necessarily... Uh, um, it shouldn't be virtuous inherently it's actually not virtuous at all like you have to yeah seek... i mean it's like inherently masturbatory if anything yeah. you have to seek to connect to something either to an audience or to create an audience or to actually speak to ideas that are out there um i don't know we talked about hunter a bit while back but i think her work is like that because she's trying to i don't know speak to different kind of um, musical traditions and philosophical traditions and religion and it probably doesn't uh, it's not understood by so many people because it's weird it is weird it is weird <laughs> like uh, when you when you hear her lectures you're like what the fuck is this but it's i like i like that kind of work and i don't know we talked about young lean a bit while back i think his his work became really popular and strong because of that as well, because it tried to create a new space that already speaks to a lot of existing, um, I don't know, uh, like it spoke to a generation and spoke to their worries and pains and whatever and created something interesting and influential. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like everyone should, should seek to be bigger than themselves and just put things out there and see what happens mm -hmm. yeah for me um well i was in high school around the time of unknown death 2002 i was in high school like through the mid 2010s mm -hmm. and um you know young lane i just like discovered him then as like a meme rapper i was like oh it's like vaporwave it's like kind of edgy it's kind of cool and once it like uh registered with me i realized that this was kind of like an ideal for the medium I thought that it was like the perfect form of hip hop and that mm. it wasn't something that could be really written down and achieve the same effect. It's an effect that's totally unique to like recorded music in that the lyrics, rather than taking the form of like dense, like uh, ponderings that would be better served on a printed page where you can like reflect on them at your own r rate. Instead, it's like this mantra like repetition of just like a very poignant, like pregnant phrase, whatever mm. that may be. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, like Kyoto is like kind of the ideal for that and yeah. like the way that it's just like merged with the production uh, to create something like so beautiful and simple but also mm -hmm. like revealing layers of meaning um, yeah. but like all of like Young Lean's classic songs are basically like that yeah it's about like just like uh, kind of repeating phrases to bring out like the the core truth of them to bring out like all of the nuances of that expression and then decorating them with yeah. uh details definitely and um you know how they say your taste in music like freezes at like 18 years old or something mm -hmm. have you ever heard that it's like uh i don't know there's like some like pop psychology that says that like your brain stops manufacturing the chemicals that like make you enjoy new music after you turn like 19 or 20 or whatever. Uh -huh. And, um, 
And I definitely feel that on some level because, like, you know, it's uh, 2021, you know, mm. we've been through, like, with these world-changing historical events, and I'm still simping for, like, meme rappers from the mid-2010s. Yeah, but... yeah. Um... Yeah, their music is still fresh now. Like you still listen to it and think, okay, this is fucking relevant and it's very influential and mm-hmm. it stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. Like I'd say Young Lean was a big influence for me. Tyler, the creator, like like hmm. early 2010s, Tyler, the creator. Um, ASAP Rocky, mm-hmm. his yeah. like early stuff was big. Um, you know what hasn't aged well? Uh, Lil Pump. Oh, Oh yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. Like I, I I can't get over. I feel like nobody like uh, even remembers this enough to realize like how poorly it's aged. But like everything about the Lil Pump brand, other than the fact that he went for Trump, but like for like the dumbest reason, like yeah. Um, but like everything else about Lil Pump is like really cringy in retrospect. I feel like yeah. Well, Gucci Gang was fun. Yeah. Like it was a funny song, but like. Even that song you did with Kanye West is like I love it. <laughs> I I hate it. I like my my small brother loves it, so I keep playing it for him. <laughs> and like now I noticed that Kanye was wearing a Donda necklace when he was doing uh-huh. the song. And Oh really? The lyrics are so sexual, so I was thought, okay, that's very Oedipal like <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I just like went along with it at the time because, you know, I, in my mind, like Kanye can do no wrong. And I still yeah. kind of believe that. And I, you know, I was like, well, Lil Pump, he's like, you know, You're he had that outrageous, like, hoe. goofy. I hit. love it. Uh, it's You're just such like. such a fucking hoe. It's just, it's an interesting song. Like, it's a commentary on modern day feminism and stuff, you know? Is it? I mean, the woman at the beginning, she's saying, oh, like before we didn't even care about sex, but now we tell you to give us orgasms. Like we are in control, like women are now in control. And then oh, they're true. just like trying to belittle her and saying, oh, you're just, you're a fucking hoe. That's, you love sex. Like it's-, it's Oh, so it's you a, think it's like a gender war, like dialectic kind of yeah, like playing out yeah. musically. Yeah. Maybe, oh, maybe I've been too uh, judgmental. <laughs> I don't know. No, I've, I've listened to it too many times. I, yeah, I just I, remember like yeah. hearing it at first and I was like, oh, all right. It's a new Kanye West Lil Pump song. Like, of course, I'm going to add it to my playlist, <laughs> whatever. And then like about like two years later after like hearing it like out of like so many cars, like yeah. just kind of in society and like weird places and clubs whatever else i was like so sick of it and i'm like wait a minute this is just annoying like and like but, um, it's it's even a commentary on class like he tells her oh you pretend you like sparkling water i'm, I'm sure you've never had that shit before like <laughs> you're right you're right maybe i'm uh too, too prejudicial and because i'm just like remembering like 2018 and like thinking like mm, you know that's not it like but, you know, everyone kind of has, like, a knee-jerk distaste for, like, the fashion of, like, two years ago. Yeah. In 2018, I think the album that I remembered was, like, a hardcore emo album or something by Toshe Wait, Amore. Do you know them? Uh, no. No. Yeah. I was into that stuff, I think, back then. I was into trap. Mm-hmm. But now the trap that I listen to is so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I listen to Russian trap. I don't even know mm-hmm. what they're saying, but I love it. 
I, I like I loved like early XXX Tentacion. Like I thought that was like the most yeah. like vital like uh breath of fresh air like happening in hip hop at the yeah. time. And this is the same principle, right? It's like he just like takes a phrase and like shouts it and like just like really like um rings all the meaning out of it very forcefully. And it's I thought that was like so ideal to the form. And his later stuff is good too, but like yeah. I just feel like it you know, that early XXX Tentacion like it was it, it like reached like a kind of like formal ideal yeah like for me i think rap started to change when when sadness became something that is expressed <laughs> or <laughs> depression i don't know like <laughs> it stopped it stopped be, be being just about uh, you know becoming rich blah 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 it's just about depression and sadness and angst it it, it became emo in a way mm-hmm. and yeah and the focus on the lyrics being so meaningful as well has been less i like that i like throwing around words that you can't understand but then you need to listen more to process it I mean, I don't know. What do you think about Blade? Do you like Blade? Uh, Blade. You know, unfortunately, I never got into him, and I feel like I yeah. would. Like, I know how uh, you know tapped into the kind of trends he is, but like, yeah. um, you know, it's like one of those things where I guess like my music taste like froze at nineteen. Not mm-hmm. literally. Like, you know, I still mm-hmm. like listen to new stuff. I just haven't, uh, you know, really like put in the time to like, you know, really immerse myself I, in the world I, of. Blady. I think that I think that his his project is also religious because he uses a lot of like lyrics that seem to be Christian as fuck. Oh yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of my friends are into Blady, and they always uh, tell me that. Yeah. They tell me how uh, you know his new album is like super Christian. I love it. Yeah, I I, I maybe this will be the catalyst. It's also like. I don't know these like Scandinavian rappers. Like I feel like it 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 feels kind of incongruous to listen to them during the warm months, and so mm-hmm. I only really listen to them during the winter months, mm-hmm. and so that's like a real obstacle to like getting into them, you know, <laughs> just in the sense that like it doesn't occur to me. Yeah, yeah, I I I'm really inspired by their music, and sometimes I like use the lyrics in my writings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw Young Lean live uh, in 2017. That was like Mm. a a pretty good concert by hip hop standards. It was very good, I would say, Mm. Um, because I tend to think that hip hop live shows are usually uh, formally incomplete. They usually fall short in Mm. some ways, Um, but that was a pretty good one. And that was like right off of the back of. Oh, that was right before he released uh stranger Mm. so i think there was like one or two singles from stranger that he performed but that was really like the classic like young lean hits that i got to see and that was uh wow it it was like a a real uh moment in history i remember there were just like (laughs) so many like arizona iced tea like hoodies or whatever um yeah it's kind of a shame how the culture of like the high 2010s as i call it not necessarily young lean that's mm-hmm. like you know early to mid like that classic stuff was like mm-hmm. early to mid 2010s but like stuff like uh you know it, on the popular level like the joker mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. ariana grande <laughs> like that uh album that she had that was a big hit um mm-hmm. what else 
yeah just like all of those things that were like very like 2019 have just been totally memory hold from the culture everyone just kind of like brushed them aside really? and i feel like they they never really got the time of day after their uh after their heyday because of the like great purgation which followed hmm. well, how do you Let conceive of what's happening now like what is the what do people listen you mean like to the now? dominant mode of like yeah. pop culture yeah well uh i mean i was uh about a year ago i was like teaching at a madrasa for islamic zoomers i talked about it on the last podcast what? but like Okay. What? Yeah, that, that was. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should listen to my last episode with uh, with Scott because we were both like uh, tutoring at this Islamic school together, and like <laughs> our kids, they were like uh, very Zoomer. Like they were into Fortnite. They loved Juice World, even though they said that listening to music was haram, and they would just be like, no. "Oh, they're probably well, joking we with listen. you because like all Arabs listen to music." No, they're very they're very pious though. Is the thing, oh, and they okay. would just like listen to music and say that it was a jinn that made them do it. They were it. possessed by a jinn. So, <laughs> but um, playing with you, but, yeah, yeah. But uh, so these kids were into Juice World. They were into like all of like the trendy stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I'm like uh, not really young enough to like have my uh, finger on the pulse anymore. So I don't really know mm. what like the dominant like uh, culture is. You know, I'm like tapped into like the kind of like uh the alt-right queer art podcast subculture <laughs> but uh, but that's really like my only like uh tethering to like uh you know a broader yeah. like social trend or whatever yeah same I, I mean i'm i'm not i'm 28 so i'm also old i'm coming 29 soon but uh, uh most of my friends are musicians or djs so mm -hmm. i listen to their music and uh, there's a lot of underground shit that is happening that is very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't care much about. I, I care about pop pop music, but yeah, like Charlie XCX. She was. I used to listen to her before, but now I don't really care what she puts out. Mm -hmm. um, I like Earth Eater a lot. She's really good. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I'm not familiar with that artist. I know Charlie XCX. Mm. My uh, my friend gave me a Walkman. Um, oh. He he bought a Walkman CD player for me, and mm. as a as the beginning of my CD collection, he bought me Charlie XCX, the album that she recorded at the beginning of like the quarantine. And oh. so I, I I listened to that. It was cool. I mean, I love the I like the PC music sound. Yeah. I love like Sophie and other mm. artists in that milieu. So. I think that that's uh, that was a good fit. I I didn't get like super into it, like you know, it's not not like I was listening to it night and day or anything. But like yeah. that was, uh, I feel like that's something that I can definitely appreciate. Yeah. So why why did you tutor at the madrasa? Uh, my friend Scott like uh, had like background in like the Islamic education system, and like one of his former students recruited him to like teach at this school that they were starting up this like homeschool this was like post-covid but like um mm. and so he knew i was looking for work at the time and so he just uh d referred me to the i uh i guess i can't say the name of the employer because i don't want them associated yeah, with no, my no. Uh, <laughs> podcast but the, but the yeah he just toilet. referred 
Yeah, yeah. He uh, <laughs> referred that. That's Haram, you know. It's that's very Haram. It, but he referred me to them, and then he ended up quitting after like a week because they basically like scammed him. And oh. so I was the only like uh, English and social studies teacher. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much since I, uh, the, it was like the subject of like the last episode. Yeah, I did, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. Teaching is nice, but teaching at the I, I was so unqualified for it. But it, I mean, it was like really like, uh, interesting because they were so Americanized because they were so I mean, like kids, uh, kids here are Americanized I mean right they were like either like first generation in the sense that like they moved when they were like toddlers or whatever or mm. second generation in that yeah I mean there were a few that moved when they were older but like they were mostly like fully American more or less yeah they were into like Fortnite and <laughs> Juice World and like you know all the other like zoomer stuff they would watch like uh i, I remember one time i would like i walked into the eighth grade class and they were watching this video called epic gold digger prank uh <laughs> the premise of which was that like a guy would like stand over like a really nice sports car and yeah. then a woman and would then come a girl on, he would comes, be like blah, blah. yeah he would be like oh you want to bang and she'd be like okay and then he would like walk back to his like uh junker and yeah. be like all right well let's go home and she'd be like oh actually i have a boyfriend and then he'd walk back to a sports car and like but like i mean it was cool how based the kids were but um yeah, yeah i bet so. like uh, kids these days are based as fuck but millennials are trying to woke make them woke or something well, this was also like uh, an unusual case of like homosociality in that mm. like they literally like had like no women in their life to mm. kind of dissuade them of these like radical views. And also because they are like this ethno-religious minority, then mm. they are more or less unmolested by uh, progressive culture. So I doubt, I doubt, doubt, doubt. I'm speaking from the the heart of the Middle East. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, like, uh, anywhere in the world right now, except for probably places that are really, really strict or really poor or really war-torn, uh, mm -hmm. like, kids create their own subcultures and they're all, like, really progressive in a way that is really unexpected. Well I could say that my kids were like virulently homophobic, like huh? homophobic, really. Yeah, I, I there was Shit. like this uh, okay, like precocious like Nigerian kid, like this little Nigerian kid named. <laughs> and one day he just like uh, raised his hand in class and he was like, "Mr. Nicholas, do you know that Allah destroyed the Roman Empire because they invented homosexuals?" <laughs> and like, <laughs> and. They, they would always talk about how much they hated gay people, but then there's also this dynamic where, like, oh, you know, no. two of them would be fighting, but their fight consisted of, like, hugging each other and, like... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a tale as old as time. It's not that atypical. Yeah. But, um... What do you think of, uh... 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll bleep out his name in post production. I don't want to like accidentally like dox like some like little Nigerian Islamic schoolboy. I mean, he was so cute. I mean, he like you know a lot of my kids were pretty unmotivated, but like he actually like had like aspirations to go to Columbia Law and become like a lawyer. And I totally believe in him. I think that he has all the potential. Yeah. Um, but. I, uh, you mentioned like being in the heart of the Middle East. Like, what's your uh, general take on Dubai? What's the what's the scene like there? Oh. Dubai is uh, it's it's this place that is very fairly new. It was like the whole this whole country became a country in the seventies, and it's it's always been like a business hub. And it's always been a place where, you know, it had expats from Europe and from everywhere here. So it's been multicultural mm-hmm. and uh, uh, people are not like, so I grew up where, where like my parents and school, everyone would say, don't talk about politics. So everyone is just like apolitical as fuck. And we are just like going to malls and consuming things and yeah everyone is fairly westernized here i would say mm-hmm. and we all come from different roots and countries and we bring our own like backgrounds and traditions into the mix but yeah it it neutralizes all of these so everyone just i don't know like i grew up on the internet basically just talking to people and even the people I dated or been friends with are from like different countries. So that's why I have so much in common with everyone online, basically. And I think it's the case for many Middle Eastern people. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but now Dubai is interesting. It's a, there is an art scene here. A lot of people come here. Um, it's, it's, it's where the money is. So people come here, (laughs) I guess. Naturally. Yeah. What's the, what's the art scene like? How would you characterize that? Um, so yeah, the, the art scene is uh, as well fairly new, but, uh, because here they, they import everything they need, uh, uh, like you have a Louvre in Abu Dhabi, you know that, like the Fr- the same as the French Museum, and they have a lot of pieces there for Da Vinci and Klimt and stuff like that. Um, but uh, the contemporary art scene is also interesting. A lot of international artists come here and they show their work, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a good market to be honest for the for the arts. Mm-hmm. I, uh, have you yeah. lived there like your whole life or how long yeah. have you been in the city? Yeah, I was born in Jordan, but then I came here when I was like eight. And yeah, I've lived here most of my life. Mm-hmm. Do you travel a lot? Um, I used I traveled a bit like to Lebanon and stuff like that. I didn't go. I didn't travel much, to be honest, because I was always mm-hmm. tied up with work or something. Mm-hmm. Um yeah mm-hmm. i'm very partial to oman personally that's uh, ah, I, did you go to oman to, no no but if i were to uh you know 
just settle down in a golf state. If you had to, if I, if you put a gun to my head and forced me to pick one, it would definitely be Oman. Um, Why? Uh, I'm a big uh, Sultan Qaboos stan. Uh, R.I.P. Why? I mean, well, first of all, he has a. I mean, he has like a. He is like the original perfume nationalist since he uh, <laughs> laid the groundwork for Amouage. I think it was like by his decree that Amouage was founded. Wow! And, you know, he's I like drawing on like. The, oh yeah, he's like drawing on like this like medieval like art of like Omani perfume and like yeah. this tradition, and um, but also like combining it with like more contemporary French styles. Yeah. Um, but also, I just love the idea of, like, this, like, flamboyantly gay uh, monarch in, like, an <laughs> Arab state where, like, sodomy is illegal and everyone knows it, but nobody talks about it. And yeah. um, and also just, like, his, like, personal style, I think, is very inspirational. Um, wow. I love that. I, 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 yeah. yeah R.I.P. That was, like, another peace. aspect of uh, early or, or, like, high 2010s culture i mean i think he died in early 2020 but it just got yeah. completely memory hold because of a uh, coronavirus but yeah yeah he was a real one yeah i rest mean peace. yeah rest in peace perfume is such a thing here it's like a perfume heaven everyone mm-hmm. what do you wear um now i'm wearing uh this chanel perfume because everyone says it smells good on me but mm-hmm. i like I like all the niche stuff. Uh, I mean, Serge Luton's, I'm not sure how niche it is anymore because like everyone knows it now. But I love, I love Serge Luton's and I like, um, what is it called? Uh, Orange Libre Orange or something. That... Uh, Etat Libre d'Orange. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that, that one is amazing. Angel, of oh, course. Yeah. Uh, I'm, they a, have, like, I'm so a pure perfume nationalist. Huh? Uh, oh, uh, ELDO has like a lot of good stuff. I think the yeah. problem is that like a lot of their stuff probably doesn't perform that well, but like they yeah. have like great concepts, you know. I'm really yeah. partial to Jasmine and Cigarette. Hmm. I haven't tried and, that. Uh, I have the Marquez de Sade one, which is like one oh. one note, I think. I forgot mm-hmm. which, which one is it. Like it's one, only one ingredient, and it's amazing. Mm hmm. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm wearing Incense Avignon today because Ooh. I went to, uh, well, because it's Sunday and I went to the Catholic church or whatever. And then I went to this normie suburban parish that probably like has yeah. no idea what incense is. I'm sure it was very alienating, but. Yeah, my friend, uh, I met my friend, she, uh, she's Lebanese. She lives in Beirut. She's a painter and she came here for a few days and she gave me she gave me some Greek incense. She went to she went to Greece to visit like some saints, uh, churches and stuff. And she brought me also some iconography. She's like, "This will protect you. Marshall Bill will protect you." <laughs> like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is she Eastern Orthodox? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eastern Orthodox friends love to give you icons from yeah. my experience. Yeah. I have like so many icons. Like <laughs> if you were to look at my room, you would think that I was Eastern Orthodox and I'm wow. not. But like I just have like two or three Eastern Orthodox friends that every time I see them, they're like, oh, this is uh, this is St. John the Baptist. If you pray to this icon, he'll uh, he'll protect you from, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah, I, I was I really loved her gifts and uh but I also thought that I really like female saints more, not because of like, not because of any feminist idea, but just like because Girl like power. 
no, no, no. Like female saints have more interesting stories. Like they get brutalized really hard by God. Mm-hmm. Like they get really sick and their bodies get disfigured and stuff like that. You know, like she told me about Saint Helena who had her like limbs cut off and stuff. Or like Saint Lucy, her eyes got gouged out from her face mm-hmm. and her emblem is like a plate with two eyes on them. And uh, Saint Lidvin, which is like she's she's inspired my my new name on SoundCloud. She, her body was like completely destroyed and disfigured by her sickness. And there's an essay by uh, Thackeray. I don't know if you know him, Eugene Thackeray. He he wrote about black metal as well. And Hunter writes in the same collection, and he wrote an essay about her. So yeah, I just uh, find them interesting, and I yeah, I also like Simone Weil, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love saints. What's uh, what's your attraction to the body horror aspect of it, like uh, the kind of like uh, the yeah. grotesque violence of female saints? What's the nature of that? Um, it it feels like you know, like the whole idea of. Uh, um, getting detached from the material world and being connected to God is through like you forgetting about your body and I feel like with these saints it happens in a very potent like very strong way because uh, they actually feel all of that pain and their body feels like this infinite plane of pain and pain is very important to me as well I think pain is a very uh, important thing in general to thought and creativity and everything more than mm-hmm. more than pleasure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the idea that they have to go through all of that pain to just reach something transcendental is is very interesting and it's like imposed upon them somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm very open to that. I don't know. I never really latched on to like any particularly like graphic saints in terms of like graphic violence but um (laughs) but i'm very sympathetic to your views about uh violence as like a kind of like limit experience as i take it and also like uh the inherent value of pain and suffering and even you know even mutilation to some extent it's like i think that uh my view which i've articulated here before is that like uh suffering and pleasure are both intrinsically good um Mm. in a very symmetrical way and that they Mm. both like are fully realized and they possess qualia there are like certain qualities that you associate with both and um they're actually like totally symmetrical the Mm. difference is that like pleasure is like the good that you seek out and suffering is the good that you don't seek out but they're both like more or less equally good it's like a matter of value but um because they are both like possessed of like tangible attributes that you can point to and say that this is like the essence of this rather than like a lack thereof um of course like either pleasure or suffering in certain like an unrelenting barrage of either will desensitize one to both to Mm. the point that what takes its place is really just like a kind of emptiness which is actually like the manifestation of evil yeah in the human psyche but yeah it's it's interesting like to think about to think about pleasure 
without thinking about pain feels i don't know it feels like lacking in a way if you think about mm-hmm. intensifying pleasure to the ultimate degree you will have to have pain in the process mm-hmm. i think i think mm-hmm. that pleasure like is not possible without pain but pain can be seeked or can be can be used to reach something else other than pleasure that is higher than pleasure maybe well yeah i think in uh in heaven like both pleasure and pain will be obsolete because they're both mm. good but they're both contingently good yeah. and they they stand in for something that uh, transcends both of them so yeah i mean i don't know simone Weil. do you like do you know do you like her um I read one of her books. I wouldn't say she's like a personal favorite of mine, but mm. I read uh, Letters to a Priest or what is it? Letter to a mm. Priest. Um, I thought like, I don't know. I thought a lot of the time she was like making like, like starting a good point and then like just like kind of like developing it in the like the exact wrong way. But but I, I, I think maybe I should just read some of her more abstract stuff and maybe I would have a greater appreciation mm. for her. Like for her, I think uh, that's why I said I like this idea of like physical pain. Is that um, like she was she was born to a bourgeois family, basically, like not too poor and not a working class family. I mean, and then she she wanted she was a leftist as well. Like she was working at the same time as Bataille was writing, and she was trying to. She was always like she's trying to theorize labor and she's trying to criti- criticize Marxism or whatever. And she said that, uh, like, OK, we write about uh, labor, we write about the working class, but we never really know what they experience when they go to work every day. We just theorize about it. So she went in and she worked in factories. She worked in farming and stuff to just know what what it's like. And it was horrible for her because she's like this fragile, frail woman with many headaches and stuff. Like she couldn't do the work well. It was it was a joke. But she also said that like if you want to understand hunger, like you have to feel hunger. You have to. So I don't know. She willingly or she it had happened to her like she wouldn't eat much just to feel the pain of people who don't have food. Um, like she she would take things further on her body just to. Uh, get a sense of what these experiences mean and to like question our relationships with them but when we talk about pleasure we just we really don't i don't know okay like what 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 gives you pleasure like it's not as potent as pain it's Mm -hmm. not as achievable maybe i don't know Mm Yeah, I mean, I just think, like, uh, pleasure is, like, a positive, like, outpouring of, like, experience that Mm. you seek out, but if you actually do achieve everything you seek out, then there's, like, a kind of elimination of tension. There's, like, an elimination of being on some level, Mm -hmm. and so your internal, like, disposition kind of, like, emulates a state of non-being. It creates, like, a simulation of non-being within yourself. Um, I think like an unrelenting barrage of pain will do the same thing too. And that like, Mm. it would desensitize you to like the actual like meaning and like gravity of that pain. And so I think that that also has like a potential to uh, devolve into this simulation of non-being. 
yeah which is like the purest evil that you can uh kind of possess in a fully embodied like world porcelain windows that are both sends rope man swinging axe in the abyss of sunlight twilight dreams in an obscene dimension of leather heels and cigarettes white portion in las vegas motel looking through the pink glass over the black mountains while goats run free and bats hang upside down in the chandeliers the chandeliers all right sorry let me do it again Black finished roses, circling white roses, forming a cross in this untamed ravishing yard. Not any cross, but a cross of hate, a cross of shattered dreams and innocent tomorrows that never came. Black finished liquor swirls around his goblet as the fat one dines in his hall with the fascists of Europe. And the night was becoming morning, and the smell of wet grass and burnt cigarettes took upon them as they marched out for the yearly hunt. And the under your wings Under your wings Under your wings It's a lonely desire You saw my fire Trapped with rats and the spider I don't wanna fall No, 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 I don't wanna fall No, no So you've, uh, in Twitter spaces, you've mm. alluded that you're interested in Sufism. Oh, yeah. Your indigenous tradition is Islam. Mm-hmm. You, you told me that you are a Muslim. Yeah. So what's, uh, like, what's that mean to you, in effect? What's your spiritual background like? And like, what are you interested in now? Um, well, like my, my, my tradition is like Muslim, you know, the Sunni. It's very orthodox. It's, uh, it's, it's like... Uh, it's not too spiritual, not too mystical, not too. It does like you don't you don't like you don't question many things. You're just following whatever uh, the rules are, or whatever. But uh, I became agnostic when I was like 18, and then started like reading stuff and looking into stuff. And then I found that atheism and agnosticism, I mean, being agnostic is interesting, but being atheist is really boring and lame and not philosophically productive in any way. And yeah, uh, I also was, I I used to read a lot of Deleuze and stuff, but then now I'm reading more Corbin, Henry Corbin, he's this uh, French guy who wrote about uh, these Islamic traditions from Ismailism and Sufism and stuff like that. And their philosophies are really interesting. And um, they, the, like the way they see, I mean, I, I made an episode, my first episode in the podcast was about this uh, Irani uh, Sufi mystic called Ayn al-Qudat, who, who said that you don't have to pray, you don't have to do... You don't have to abide by rules and regulations. You have to find God through. Sounds this, Iranian. Like, yeah, you have to go through like a journey, and uh, you have to go through. You have to question everything and 
do wrong wrong things and good things and you have to think about the relationship with God in a philosophical way in a more transcendental way and uh, like yeah like I find that more interesting because it's really close to philosophy and I love philosophy and uh, uh, I also like Catholicism but I'm not that much uh, knowledgeable about it but uh, I hate I don't know it's not that I'm spiritual and I like these things no I just think that they're very strong philosophically like they make you think no no but you have a lot to say about it it's clearly but something what? that you've given a lot of thought to. <laughs> yeah, like my, my I, uh, car- I'm somewhat familiar with Korban because uh, yeah. my professor Ali Mirsapasi was like uh, mm. fairly. I, he's uh, pretty into Korban. He's like a scholar of like Iranian modernity, and so yeah. he uh, has a lot to say about Korban and Bergson. And mm. I mean, his specialty is Ahmad Fardid, who's like the Iranian Heidegger, basically. Wow. But, um, but yeah, I think that. Uh, I don't know. I have like a, a certain affinity for just like the force and authority of orthodoxy asserting itself. Um, I find that kind of attractive. Um, my background is like being like, I was raised like very normy, like middle American Protestant. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, religion was definitely not like a huge part of my life growing up. I always had yeah. like a certain attraction to it um, because I think that I am drawn to things that feel like a totalizing like system of value mm-hmm. um once you can assert that one thing is like the only important thing then i think then you have like a lock on like uh value theory you know what i mean yeah and so i've always kind of thought that way on some level um and you know i certainly stopped practicing uh when i was in high school early college yeah i think in many ways like the tradition of that i grew up in was not a very robust one I think Mm -hmm. that it can be robust if you elect to make it so, if you, like, opt into it. But I just kind of, like, passively inherited it. And so it was only natural that, you know, when I came of the age and, you know, discovered the joys of premarital sex or whatever, I was like, well, I'm done with this. Like, um, but nonetheless, you know, I am, my grandfather is an Iranian Shia Muslim. Uh, Wow. No way. Your grandfather, I I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, he he's like every Iranian in that he doesn't... Uh, I mean, he, he does pray, like, so he does, you know, go through the motions um, of a type of spirituality in, like, in, like, this very ritual way. I don't know if he prays five times a day, but it's definitely, like, something yeah. that he uh, does. Um, he also drinks and listens to music and uh is not very out outwardly pious notwithstanding his prayer life um but nonetheless like uh you know i think that's interesting i have like a deep uh affinity for shia islam me too me too definitely i I love it so much uh, it's so interesting the culture of martyrdom is something that i think is very uh sympathetic to a christian perspective but nonetheless i converted to catholicism I converted to Catholicism. uh, I wasn't memed into it by Twitter because I actually like, I I, I have faith in that. I know that uh, it was like at least somewhat sincere because I only became privy to the existence of like online Catholicism, so to speak, after Mm -hmm. I had started like attending RCIA. So 
Same, like for me, uh, exactly like this was the thing that draws me to Sufism is this as, as well, like martyrdom. And they, like most of these guys who, this Ayn al-Qudat person, for instance, he died, like they burned him on the stake. And there's something about it that that links to me with Catholicism as well. And this is why I'm, I'm interested in it. And it wasn't because of the online stuff at all. It started with Simone Weil, sadly, because she also, you know, she converted to Catholicism and the way she writes about God and desire and how we understand our desires and how we understand our attachment to God is very close to these guys as well. Um, because the, the whole idea is not to be attached to what you think God is, like your idea of God, the image of God. You should, you should love God with thinking that God doesn't even exist or something like you have to keep questioning this relationship between you and God and what God is. So at the end of it, you'll not be proud with that love or think, oh, God loves me. I love God. I'm close to God. I'm, I've reached what I want to reach. No, like it, it has to be this ongoing process. And that's why it's philosophical for me as well. And Speaking of sex, I mean, most of these Sufists, the way they write their poetry as well, it has a lot of like eroticism in it. And it's really interesting that they got away with all of that, to be honest. Um, and Shiazam as well, like the, the whole um, rituals or whatever that they do, this constant ongoing. You mean like a uh, mortification of the flesh? Yeah, and yeah, like this idea of mourning that doesn't end. Yeah, like you have to keep mourning and keep feeling. They keep feeling guilty that they are the the reason why Al Hussein and Ali bin Abi Talib died. And they keep um, in their majlis when they do these. Like, if if you have you seen any of these, like everything is, uh, they wear black and there's red lights everywhere, and. Uh, they keep they they say poems and songs and stuff that makes them emotional and intensifies their feelings of grief and sadness or whatever like there's even one one song where they come they're like uh, like uh, when when Christ was uh, crucified uh, May, uh, you know Virgin Mary she was crying over him and they compare that to uh, the story of Al Hussein, and it's it's interesting. It's very creative. It's I, I think it's very progressive and interesting. Mm -hmm. I uh, the intro track for the last episode. You know, usually I use like old like Chinese Shidaichu music, but I have yeah. like a lot. You know, I'm very like open. You know, I do different things depending on what I feel is appropriate for the episode. But I used a Shia Nohe like war song about like the Saudis and. Uh, <laughs> you know a law like it's for the last uh for the last episode so i have I'm like to somewhat, check that I, out <laughs> yeah i'm like a somewhat uh enculturated in terms of like shia islam and um yeah and there are aspects of it that i definitely find attractive i mean the thing is like for iranians like uh to be like secularized to be like kind of like progressive or not even progressive but like open-minded um 
what that really means is like they become Sunni. Like um, one of my professors, mm -hmm. uh, do you know, oh, what's uh, Zarin Kub, I think is his name. Are you familiar with him? Mm -mm. Uh, Ab uh, Abdul Hossein Zarin Kub. He wrote the book um, 100 Years of uh, Two Centuries of Silence. Hmm. Um, and the premise, it, it's like a book of academic history, but like it's also like this anti-islamic polemic where he talks about how after the arabs invaded iran there were two centuries of just like total cultural death mm. um and so he is of like this anti-islamic iranian tradition which was fairly well represented in the early 20th century by like uh sadek Hedayat and others um and but you know, he was like in the circles of my professor's parents when she was growing up in Mashhad. And she said uh, that he actually secretly converted to Sunnism. But what that means is like, in effect, like he wasn't like becoming like Wahhabi or anything like he was like Sunnism was seen as like the template for a more liberal Islam in the form of Sufism. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the cultural connotation there there's no like really like super like progressive like open-minded like philosophical like based shiism or whatever but yeah. at the same time like i just like like the backdrop of shia orthodoxy same. as like a kind of like a creative force in itself yeah um i think like the mortification of the flesh is based it's something that a lot of people want to shy away from now you know it's something that people will try to downplay even in catholicism like uh you know like saint uh john paul ii was like known to like beat himself like wow he he was into like whipping himself like it's like something that the opus dei like promote and you know they're like a little bit shy about it they like to downplay it but like it's like totally reasonable on some level as long as you like do it in a way that you're not like actually like uh destroying your body i think it's like a very reasonable thing you know it's like yeah. tied up with like these like modern like psychiatric notions of self-harm too and i think yeah. that's why there's like a certain stigma but you know oh that's gay like whatever like you know no i love it, it i love intensity mm -hmm. and um, uh I think that like the just like the martyrdom of Hussein is like a very uh inspirational mm. model, you know, I It is. Yeah. I certainly don't like uh profess it religiously, you know, that's uh of course outside yeah. of the tradition that I've adopted, but I think that in a secular sense it certainly it's demonstrates like a a profusion of it's also virtue. yeah, and uh, it's interesting in certain contexts, like in certain countries. I mean, the problem is when when we talk about this, people will think, oh, you're like you're pro Khomeini, you're pro like religious uh, totalitarianism or whatever. But like, if you think about it in the context of Iraq, or you think about it in other contexts, Shia were really oppressed, and they were oppressed under Saddam Hussein and. They were not allowed to express all of these, um, you know, all of their uh, religious beliefs and what makes them strong. And they were persecuted and killed and uh, they were jailed, they were tortured. So, uh, and in other, if you think about Sufism, uh, the Sufist traditions, they also were persecuted in, in many countries. 
like Libya or whatever like and and the, and the, and there's always a very strong philosophical value to whatever they're doing in in terms of like knowledge production especially like sufist groups they would have these shrines where there are books and they would go there and read them and it, there's so much depth to what they do that's that's what really draws me and i still have to read a lot like to learn more like now what i'm reading is like corbin's books about masdeism and their ideas about time and cyclical time and uh, like the idea that time has different values there's the the image of time and there's eternal time and there's cycles of time and it's just wow like it's so it's so rich philosophically i also probably have like more of an affinity for just like the force of like orthodoxy like this like stern like kind of uh force of like correct belief asserting itself in general mm. um i think i i think that you know coming up in like a very like postmodern context like a kind of without a very stern demanding religious tradition i also just mm -hmm. like really am attracted to anything that um asserts the rules and like enforces them and to the force of authority that represents that mm. because I, I mean i think that um to be good is inherently violent on some level of course in that yeah. like you must be willing to manifest the force necessary to uphold the good in order to meaningfully assert it yeah. and that's also very repressive because like to be good is like to uh repress like the things that are not that are outside of like that conception of the good mm. and so i can like always like kind of like tip my hat to a belief system that is just like very like authoritative and demanding mm. and um well uh, you, restrictive, even if it's not my own, you know. The the problem is, um, if you think like right now, you can't think about a modern state, and when if you think about a modern state that has also like religious authority at the same time, you can't really uh, think about these things as separate things. So here, like religion becomes really political, and when it mm -hmm. becomes political. I don't know, it just stops being... I mean, of course, it, uh, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that you can't really separate the two. So there's a difference mm -hmm. between um, discipline or bringing out a strong idea of what you want religion to be. And there's a difference between that and, and oppression and ruining traditions and ruining people's lives i mean in the case of uh political islam i really don't think you can assert that that's like impure in some sense because like it, from its very genesis it is like a political honestly yeah uh, islam, islam, islam from the start it's a political religion that's the problem with it that's mm -hmm. why i like maybe catholicism more mm -hmm. i mean i think catholicism is also was... innately political as well yeah um yeah i don't know i don't really shy away from that aspect but I islam would consider is, myself a is, proponent islam, of islam political very, catholicism but 
like Islam has been from the beginning a very political religion mm-hmm. from the start it's like a political movement mm-hmm. and so I, th- I I do think that that political Islam is like a very like pure and uh, kind of I mean it, it in practice it may be impure like I think like the Islamic Republic is like very hypocritical like the Gulf states are very hypocritical and like don't really like live up to like the ideals of like the early caliphates in part because they're not willing to be as brutal in part because they just like uh, impose authority in like a very like uh, kind of like in a this like centralized really. like, I think like neoliberal way I don't I just think that they don't even have the power from the beginning what did they have was mm-hmm. just that they have oil and uh, they got aid from the West and then they created a, a political hegemony, but uh... Well, I think this is like the significance, you know uh, in the Shia tradition, like I think this is part of the significance of Ahmad Fardid in that he was like really probably not the first like postmodern reactionary to emerge in the Iranian context, but he was mm. like a, probably like the most influential proponent of like this postmodern religion in that mm it's not really like a faithful like kind of like recreation of any like past like um state of being it is an organic often hypocritical attempt to kind of like impose like some like traditional system of strictures and values in the 21st century um but but i don't know i mean i think that any concept of the good is also on some level political in that it needs to secure the conditions for its own proliferation first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think about, I, I mean, like what I'm drawn to mostly is like stuff that are, I don't know, Gnostic, uh, not understood by so many people, uh, mystical in a way. Like esotericism? I mean, I don't know. I like what uh, Hunter is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's... I like it too. I mean, I'm, I'm very open to like uh, having discussions around that. I don't think it's really like uh, a totalizing mm-hmm. system of value in part because there's like a certain cuteness about like very core features of like value and being um, in that, you know like does god exist or does he not and then it's like kind of like uh you know that meme with like the lady in front of like the math equations like i Mm. feel like that's kind of like the esoteric answer to like the question of god which is really like so fundamental that uh i'm very skeptical of like obscurantism and uh kind of like cuteness and just like uh abstract like esoteric takes on like very core features of being and that's why i do align myself with like uh orthodox catholicism even though i'm you know i like i I think i am like predisposed to be like uh pretty high in like openness and like interested in engaging with like ideas outside of like the frame that i adopt but nonetheless like i think at the end of the day i do uh see value in kind of like uh hitching one's wagon to a system of orthodoxy that is very clear about like first things i was talking the other day with angelicism and we were talking about something that's called the open secret or whatever and this is my idea that i like 
is that there's like this open secret and it's not that something that is spelled out for everyone to follow. So you have, mm-hmm. I don't know, Kanye is doing this thing with his music and it's something, there's something Christian and godly about it. Blade, whatever, Hunter. Um, I read someone who died, like who wrote a book in 18th century and he's saying something that speaks to what these people are saying. And that's that's what I like. I like, I like these religious and spiritual ideas and believe in God to be progressive philosophically and be like something that is open as fuck and not like some kind of like an authority that is imposed on people because I've seen the dangers of that and I've seen what it does to people and that's why I admire when you know people are uh, practicing Shiism or practicing uh, Yazidism which is like a very niche small religion that is even oral like they don't even have a written tradition to them or any like all, all of these religions are the small ones are really like dying out and most of them were really peaceful but the ones that are like if you if you you know when we, we talked about wahhabism wahhabism is political as fuck it's, it has nothing to do with god like it's not graceful it has nothing to do with with grace or good it's just it's just a way to keep people in place and people uh, keep people in something that they're familiar with. Okay, you have these rules, you have to follow them. People love that. You have to pray five times a day, not, uh, not listen to music, blah, 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 whatever. Wear this, do that, don't do this. And then you will find that the entire society of Saudi Arabia is secretly Please remove that from the recording. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> You'll get me in trouble. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll, I, I guess. Uh, wait, are you at liberty to talk about the fact that. It's... I don't know. Uh, just like, yeah, let's be safe because I'd get really. <laughs> See, this is what mm-hmm. control does. Like, uh, anyone who's. I don't know. Most people who say that they believe in God and practice religion are not really. Uh, are not really doing I don't, I don't know they don't really believe in god that's my opinion they're just practicing things that makes them feel safe and uh, I, mean, I look at it from the outside and i think that any void of like proper religious authority is destined to be filled by something else and so when you do actually have like these like kind of like very like open mystical esoteric uh approaches to god and to uh religious traditions like what that really manifests as is like the kind of idolatry Mm. of the hierarchy in that there's like a certain class of people that are allowed to have access to these esoteric truths and then there's a peasant religion um Mm. otherwise like i do believe in strictures i believe in, in rules and like kind of like seemingly arbitrary kind of religious uh laws that nonetheless uh create a system of meaning i think that the absence of stricture is kind of if you uh entropy like it's like if you if you go to i don't know if you go to somewhere that is i don't know if you put a group of people somewhere in the desert they will look at the sky they will think oh this is wow what is this vastness we have to have some form some meaning for the world and then they will come up with some kind of belief 
and they'll probably believe in God or something. And they will act on it. They will do their thing. So if like there is this idea that, you know, mystical stuff is just elitist, right? Like, oh, you have to have some kind of knowledge to reach it. But no, I just think that anyone can know God in their own way. And uh, the when, when you have a religious authority say, telling you what to do, that's morality. That's a moral, that's a space of morality. They're, they're just imposing things that you have to do and act in a moral way to benefit the state. So that's a different thing. Yeah. It's, it's Are you like amoral, like distinctly? Like, would you <sighs> I mean, identify with uh, moral nihilism or like? I believe that, yeah, the idea, the, the idea of, of good and bad, it's not, it's not relative. But for instance, like in the US right now, if you say something that just diverges a bit not in the US, anywhere, in the mainstream media, if you say something a little bit that is different from the mainstream ideology or the mainstream good for everyone, you're seen as bad. You're seen as a criminal. You're seen as someone who's, who really wants to harm everyone, who's a fascist, you're a Nazi. I don't know, did you read the Jacobean uh, article that, you know, anti-vaxxers are like Hitler? Like, so... <laughs> That's yeah, why, because, uh, you know, the ideology you, of Nazi Germany is yeah, like, like how not can you, how, doing everything the government tells you to all the time. Yeah, like how can you trust an authority to tell you what, what's right and wrong and to follow it? The lesson that I take from that is that like that authority is like an inevitable fact of being because I, you know, of course, I'm enculturated in like a liberal society where liberalism yeah. is like religion. Yeah. And that's just the thing, like it becomes like religion. And so that authority, like uh, to exist without like a kind of centralizing authority that makes like moral edicts and kind of like passes down these commands and strictures is an unstable state of being and that it is inevitably displaced by a system of law, which um, and I think that on balance, if we don't have the courage to maintain our orthodoxy, that orthodoxy is replaced by a but what's less the well what's the ideal less what's, less spiritual kind of uh, what's um, the ideal orthodoxy for you? I mean, like I said, like I am a Roman Catholic. I do align myself somewhat tangentially with uh, political Catholicism, although I don't really think that it's that useful in the current uh, milieu. I don't think that it has a great chance of like achieving like political success in the next few decades. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. I think that that is like the ultimate ideal of being and that the state that is organized around that conception of the good will definitionally be mm. more fully realized than one that isn't. But at the same time, I think like uh, these days I'm more influenced by Confucianism I think that uh, I think that descriptive politics is ultimately like way more interesting and important than normative politics, mm. um, and I think that power will ultimately kind of uh, coalesce around one force that dares to take it, that is mm -mm. able to hold it, and that is bold enough to assert itself as the single authority. 
I think that, uh, yeah. like, orthodoxy is, like, an inevitable fact of being. Like, the reason why we have COVID orthodoxy and, like, yeah. anti-racist orthodoxy in America mm. is because we really have, like, no meaningful connection to Christian orthodoxy mm. or or even liberal orthodoxy anymore. Uh, but I think, like, like liberalism is inherently unstable because mm. it is based on a void of positive meaning. It is that, well, everyone more or less, like, defines their own meaning. Yeah, that's, and because that yeah. is, like, a void of value, it, it's, it doesn't actually assert a value unto itself. It becomes yeah, replaced uh, by the most unscrupulous that, value system. That's, that's why I said, like, it's really hard to actually have this Christian orthodoxy or whatever, like, ideal that you look forward to because the world is, like, there's so many factors. The economy, the... Especially the economy, come on, like the economy really moves things around. And that's why I said, like, even these countries that Westerners think are Muslim, Muslim, like, there's no such thing. They're just doing things in a political way. If they are holding on to a Muslim cover or image, it's just because that they want to show that they have a tradition, that they have a history. And when you have a tradition and a history, that makes you strong. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no such thing. It's just more about politics and money and wars. And yeah, that's why life is interesting. And that's why it's interesting to keep thinking about these things. I do think if you like truly like believe and have faith in a totalizing like universal conception of value, like religion is meant to be, then mm. it's very natural to apply that to every domain of life, including political life and public life. Um, I think the inherent tension of that and like the weight of the force of entropy upon that is that because of the way that these things work, like mm. I said about uh, fame and clout seeking earlier, um, it begins as seeking power to promote the good but devolves into like seeking power to promote more power. Uh, And so like the, like that kind of political influence becomes a form of idolatry, I think very easily. Yeah. Um, And I think that's a tension that every religion has had to live with. And that I think like religion that is apolitical is weak um, and feeble and kind of uh, anemic. Yeah, but political religion is also subjected to the force of entropy, mm. and everything good, everything meaningful, is basically slated for its own destruction mm-hmm. because the force of non-being is contingently uh, sovereign over this world. Mm. Yeah, it's if yeah it's uh it's interesting if you if you believe that but how many like you need a lot of people other people to believe in that and then you will have to factor in how the world has actually changed and as you said like it's became fairly postmodern as we call it and mm-hmm. there it's like even the nature of war the na- the nature of uh I don't know. War has become something else. Like it lost its uh, previous shape, form, value, everything. 
Now it's just proxy war. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's totally privated. Yeah. Like there's no concept of like the warrior. Yeah. Like going into battle, Fighting like at risk to himself, willing to kill other people, but also subjecting yeah. himself to the same risk. It's yeah. like remote control warfare, which I think is inherently debased. Even though yeah. you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Even though it results in like objectively, like it does result in like fewer casualties, even fewer civilian casualties. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I think like the lack of willingness to suffer the consequences of the violence that you inflict is a major yeah. privation, and I think it's an intrinsic evil. The th- People in power right now uh, do mm, like mass scale harm without harming themselves and with actually benefiting from it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know how power will shift to something else, to be honest. I'm not that hopeful about it. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I think there are two dynamics going on. There's like the Confucian dynamic that like power flows to those who are worthy. This is like the mandate of heaven that um, Mm. like the ability to wield power and to like maintain like a certain like monopoly on physical force is the mode of the state. If the state's not able to do that, if the institution in general is not able to do that, then it ceases to be itself and it creates a void which is replaced by another institution. Yeah. So in that sense, like uh, I think like a more based order of being is inevitable. On the other hand, like I think in our world, like we are subjected to the force of entropy and any like positive system of meaning and value is slated for its own destruction. Mm. Um, to uphold a positive system of meaning and value is a proactive process and if you just sit by, it's naturally eroded. Um, so you have to take it by force. Well, that's why I say that the good is inherently violent. Of course, it, yeah. It, it, it's coercive and forceful. Definitely. Um, but, I mean, eschatologically, like, I don't, necessarily think you can arrive at like a totally privated state of non-being or perhaps you inevitably will but that's like just like the heat death of the universe Hmm. like that's just like a lack of human potential altogether i think that uh nuclear warfare is a kind of synecdoche for non-being in that it's like Hmm. the absence of war but which nonetheless like would yield like greater long-term consequences and uh, greater casualties once the levy breaks. I think that uh, communications technology is kind of an absence of being. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, by Let's, talking, by speaking to yeah. you at, uh, what is this, uh, almost 11 p.m. Dubai time, right? Yeah. You know, we this is, this is like uh, trying to extract like the last bit of interpersonal value from a very privated world that's the thing yeah like like, um even if i thought me as an individual if i want to do something and like join a movement that can actually change things or whatever there's none uh (laughs) the left sucks ass and uh like I don't know there's there's a war happening against 
anyone forming anything that goes against what's happening now and it's it's more strong than before we are like more isolated than before i mean i also think that's what gives it a sense of being in some sense yeah and there's like a feeling of imminence because of that mm. i don't know i mean it's very reasonable to be blackpilled um yeah especially after covid like and seeing people just like kind of like fall in line with what the voice on the tv says it's like crazy. accepting like totally historically unprecedented changes it's in our way of being insane uh. especially and i think it's I, i've just started started to notice this but maybe other people have already like especially in academia every academic really follows what is being told by mainstream media and by the politicians without any questions when it comes to covid especially mm -hmm. i don't get oh, of it of course i don't i mean well th that's what i'm saying like the, the when you have an absence of like a strong religious authority one will swoop in and so you know like if we were living under catholic integralism like you know, maybe we would go along with COVID religion. Maybe we wouldn't. But I think that in the absence of Catholic integralism or like an Islamic state or whatever other religious oh tradition God. you would choose to hitch your wagon to, <laughs> no. like uh, in the absence of that, it's only re it, it's only natural that we would then form a religion around avoiding this virus in a way that like if you actually like zoom out on any given situation is totally unreasonable. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but they zoomed in on the virus because of, uh, I think, the economy, the capitalism. You have to think about that as well. Oh, of course. Like, I, and that's why I think that this is like probably like the. If this continues, I think it will on, honestly be the greatest moral challenge that has ever faced humanity ever, mm. uh, with the greatest implications for the future. Because I mean, what you're looking at, like, imagine you could speak to yourself in December of 2019 and tell yourself oh that in, in in two years, you would be facing <laughs> a future where it's illegal to have a mouth in public and also like you, your you have to, ability to- You have to inject yourself with like uh, fucking experimental vaccines. And your ability to go outside is totally contingent on the state allowing you to. And yeah. that's just like a normal fact of life. Like that's so I unprecedented. It. Yeah, yeah, it, it's totally unprecedented, and it's like very bizarre. And so I think that this is actually, if it continues at the current rate, it will very quickly become a matter of greater importance than like the defeat of communism or Nazi Germany or any other like twentieth century <laughs> uh, threat. Yeah, because like what it what it embodies is like the total like takeover of Amazon world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, it's insane. And, you know, academics who should be, they're always like criticizing things and blah, blah, blah. They're literally like going along with it. And if you like... I mean, some some aren't, like uh, Giorgio Agamben isn't. And, yeah. you know, I saw a He's, YouTube video... He, they all made my... fun of him. They all made fun of him. Yeah, I, I saw a YouTube video in my recommended uh, section. It's like, the title was, Can We Afford Agamben's Critique of Biopolitics in the Era of COVID-19? So, in other words, like... Oh, you're allowed to do your cute pr critique of biopolitics, 
until it actually becomes relevant to like the material interests of the Democratic Party exactly. and like Amazon and whatever you know whatever the other hegemons you may believe in you know yeah uh, like he he talked about it early on and they all ma- ridiculed him like oh what is this crazy guy saying we believe in science yeah this conspiracy theorist that's like hmm maybe it sets a weird precedent if like the government can tell you when you're allowed to go outside. Whoa, yeah. What a wingnut concept! <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's it's a weird uh, atmosphere, especially like for me because I, you know, I I always was in these like artist, hipster, intellectual scenes, and now I know that they think I'm crazy if they hear me talk mm-hmm. like this. If I mm-hmm. dare just like question things, mm-hmm. I swear to God they would they would think that I'm. Oh, you fucking alt-right or something. They would say that. <laughs> I mean, like, yes, I am, but like, yes, is that not but... standing like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's like, uh, yes, fascism is when you don't do exactly what the government tells you all the time. Yeah. That, that's what fascism has always meant, and that's what it will continue to mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> it's insane but i do think that that speaks to a lack of legitimate religious authority Mm, that we would like fall in line behind a totalizing system of how do you think of this authority like what would it be like what would be what would it do differently like under in like my ideal state yeah yeah um, Would it rule the only the United States or the world? Well, I mean, it would be fairly straightforward, and I don't think it's ever been huh? fully achieved. But I think that I don't think it ever has been or will be fully achieved, like my ideal state, because it is an ideal. But um, yeah, but I like to know. But I but I think it's like fairly straight. Mm. It, it's fairly straightforward to just be like, oh well, here's what the Bible and like church tradition says about this issue, and here is what what, what does the Bible like, say about this issue about covid yeah well it doesn't address it directly but um but the point is like you don't need to like form a religion around avoiding like a disease also like um if i may digress for a minute like Mm. if covid was happening in the year 1300 or 13 let alone 1350 i mean they had people people wouldn't even know it was happening it would be so so marginal in comparison to other diseases that they would just be like oh like grandpa died of this or that you know of like weird like natural causes they wouldn't even know there was a covid pandemic happening throughout like all of human history until the early modern period at the very earliest yeah so and yet and it's also totally unprecedented to like just like shut down society for a disease like this has never happened outside of the last 25 years uh prior to this in very limited situations in like east asia and sub-saharan africa Mm. like they might shut down society right but like there is like no precedent for like globally like shutting down the world um for a disease and we're talking about a history where uh endemic diseases with like you know five percent to 50% 50% mortality rates were yeah. not rare like yeah um 
so anyway, like I do, I just think that the religious need for a kind of like uh, ritual purity against coronavirus would be totally unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in like in a world ordered under Catholic integralism, I feel like there would be bigger fish to pr- fry. Like it would be like a public health issue like any other, you know, like uh, bureaucrats would assess like different approaches to it and deal with it. But like totally like just like prying open the Overton window in terms of like things that are acceptable to do to like shut down the virus would be like totally like off the table like mm-hmm. because because it would be more concerned with like stopping sin in society like <laughs> what's sin in society well I mean sin is just like doing like what's ungodly what's and, sin for you uh, I mean, I think that it all is reducible to a kind of, like, a simulation of non-being or a predisposition towards non-being mm. within a world which is inherently, like, cursed to exist. Mm. So, like, the most direct way that you can not be is suicide or, like, a violence uh, in general. Like, uh, mortally, like, deadly violence is the most direct way to simulate non-being but maybe not even like the worst or like most uh destructive because i think it's actually more pernicious to simulate non-being by creating a state of affairs where your life is so devoid of positive Mm. like qualia and like Mm. uh definable attributes Mm -hmm. that um that it is as though you don't exist yeah, um, so like leaving you in a precarious state. Mm-hmm. And I think like all of, like you know all of like the Orthodox Catholic stuff, like all of like the sins, as like the Bible says, as like the Church says, whatever, like all of that is kind of reducible to like actions which uh, do not like reflect or contribute to like being in it itself. Hmm and which kind of like uh facilitate their own destruction Mm -hmm. do you have examples i mean like a very like literal like direct example is like contraception because it's like well (laughs) i mean it's just like well it's like a thing that like okay so you take this thing that like creates new life which creates new being yeah and then you private it of that aspect of it which actually does that Mm. and so then it's like a kind of like fruitless endeavor um are you familiar with dante alighieri of course like i'm sure you know who he is like you know how like in the inferno like uh there's like one circle for the sodomites and for the usurers Mm -hmm. and the premise is like in much the same way as usury creates like profit out of like not actually creating anything like sodomy extracts like kind of like the value of sex without actually like being open to life the kind of like teleological purpose of sex yeah and like so i mean i think of contraception in more or less the same way it's like i mean i'm gonna tell you a way where like my guest was thinking about this but in a very reversed like the same concept she was saying that we shouldn't use contraceptives but not because it's sin 
because mm-hmm. she says like they take out the risk of heterosexual sex they make they neutralize it well risk is kind of like pejorative like i think that presumes a value judgment and that you like risk means yeah like, that's what i'm saying exactly implicitly. i'm saying that like, like you can actually do the same thing but think about it mm-hmm. in a sinful way mm-hmm. well like the risk of life like the risk of procreation like on some level it's very reasonable because yeah. it's like it would fuck up your life it would fuck up your yeah. life plans and you know maybe you would prefer yeah. to procreate like under different circumstances but yeah. that very framing where like creating new life is like a risk meaning that it is like a potential harm that can befall you is kind of a privation in that like it is opposed to like being in the it's, sense that it is opposed to the human being which like emerges from that interaction yeah, and i think that like yeah. i also think that it, it's on a deeper level and this is like my personal take this is like hardly like catholic orthodoxy but like i think that uh dissolving sexual tension is also like a kind of uh form of non-being mm. i think that to just like kind of exist in that like liminal space yeah. is like so full of experience and so full of like positive qualities and then to actually like act upon it and to uh do the act without like creating another person like dissolves all of that tension in a way that i think then results in a state where there are fewer qualities which you can attribute to that thing and so i mean i find it like absolutely like totally ironic to be like you know in my physical prime whatever like to be like 23 years old and to just like not fuck like very strange uh state of affairs and yet to like lean into that to like kind of embrace that tension i think is like a really realized state of being (laughs) you only get uh, you only get to have sex when you get married you know Really? I, I feel like uh, what would be very Arab would be to like uh, have sex with a prostitute like uh, when I was 19 and then be traumatized by it and then never have sex again that's, until I'm married. That's but. very Arab. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, now the younger generation don't care. They have sex. They find a way to have sex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think like, a, a, you know, I kind of believe that a good measure of like religious devotion is how much you have or are willing to sacrifice for the tradition that you affix to that traditions like so yeah i am I'm, I'm sorry go on you want to say something like sorry. i think like uh mm-hmm. sacrificing like fornication oh. is like no small deal like that's like I agree. A very like yeah. that's a big thing to ask, and I think that that's a very reasonable test of like religious uh, sincerity on some level. Yeah, yeah, it's not definitely. the only test. Yeah. It's not the only test, but it's definitely like a very like uh, legitimate one. Um, but nonetheless, um, the problem is yeah, like you have to actually believe in it in that way. Like you have to have that depth to think of it that way otherwise if it's forced upon you you'll be like you'll have a repressed weird like combine this combine this like rule to not have sex until you get married with um 
patriarchy or whatever or like uh, exposure to porn and all of these things and not being able to have sex and not, not being sophisticated enough and deep enough to actually think of your desires and needs in that way you'll find a society that is just completely perverse actually which is mm-hmm. what happened you know like this is the truth of it but if you actually think about your desires and needs like i think i posted this thing that i'm just like s- someone would absolve themselves of their desires and needs and think about them in a different way distance themselves from sorry their needs like not think about sex as a need first of all like it's not just like drinking water or eating it's something that you have to do it in a sacred special way with someone when you want to have kids or whatever that's that requires a lot of depth in my opinion <laughs> that not a lot of people have but it's it's interesting and you can actually sublimate these desires and these tensions as you say into creativity and thinking and writing and whatever like i think i believe in that um but it's hard to like have this as the main thing for people they will not practice it mm-hmm. i mean i think that's just like a feature of like living intention in the world yeah um i had a question for you oh uh what do you think of like the kind of like intra-christian dispute uh between protestants and um apostolic christians orthodox and catholics Hmm. um over like faith and works Hmm. because uh something you said earlier like seemed to suggest like a very like fideistic worldview to me Hmm. can you elaborate well uh, uh you know one of martin luther's like main points uh he articulated like the five protestant sole Mm. uh sole in latin like only Mm. uh so they were uh grace alone which isn't even really a uniquely protestant doctrine like catholics believe in this like this is like part of the theology of saint augustine like um you know if if luther did his reading he would know that uh catholics believe in grace alone too yes uh so that's sola gratia um there's uh, sola fides, which is the one that I'm interested in uh, for this conversation, which is like faith alone. Mm. And the idea is that people are justified uh, solely by their faith in Jesus Christ and their belief in uh, Christ's sacrifice and uh, reality as the God incarnate and not by their actions as mm. good Catholics or as good Christians. Mm. Um, whereas the Catholic doctrine is uh, traditionally understood to be justification by faith and works mm-hmm. um yeah so i don't know you said uh something about you know if a belief system is forced upon you if you don't yeah. opt into it then you can't the really problem uh, is i really don't like i sadly like there's this leftist idea as very utopian that people know the good and they will just like if you give the for power to the people they will just go to the streets and they will kill the rich and take over everything but that's bullshit because i think that people are really really sinful like they really are they need a lot of work to become 
good and pure and approach these things in a good way uh, like i think that people are becoming more more and more selfish and more and more like um, they just do things for their own benefits they think about the relationship with god as well in a transactional manner so okay i do this good thing and you will give me the score and then i'll go to heaven and, and uh it w- it really needs a lot of work for them to get this um like uh, the, the idea of what what is it like to be good for the for the good of the majority of people like or to actually believe in these things in a in a strong way and i know are that, you uh, are mm-hmm. you familiar with the term moralistic therapeutic deism no Oh, this is like uh, there was like some scholar that went around America, like polling like young adults for what they actually believe. Mm. And what he came away with, like they would be like, oh, yeah, I don't really know if all the Bible stuff is true. Mm. You know, I guess there's like a God, but like, Mm. you know, he doesn't really ask anything of me. But like what he came away with as his like description of like what the aggregate like American young adult believes Mm. is like moralistic in the sense that like yes they do believe like it's wrong to like massacre innocent toddlers with a chainsaw um therapeutic in the sense that like god is there and you pray to him when you like need like therapy need more or less when you want to yeah, feel yeah. better and yeah. deism in the sense that like god exists but he doesn't really intervene that much like it's not like him so yeah. that's like taken as like without value judgment like that's kind of taken as exactly. like the like baseline of belief for like the young Majority. american that isn't yeah, yeah. that isn't like tethered to a specific religious tradition yeah, yeah or that yeah, is yeah. only like tangentially tethered to a religious tradition yeah uh yeah we have a crisis of course like it's it's sad that's why i'm saying like most of countries that are muslim they're not really muslim at all people yeah. suck <laughs> People are so evil. Like I don't know. We need we need a lot. Of, I don't know mm-hmm. how many years to like, well, change. Like if you tell people, oh, like no contraceptives anymore. Deal with it. They will. <laughs> I don't know. Like oh, you're just taking our rights. We fought for this for like so many years. And yeah, and suddenly everyone choice. discovers they're everyone discovers they're a feminist when uh when you start actually enforcing like Islam in a non like totally like unscrupulous like political way oh my god yeah i don't know i've uh, i've lived here so it was pretty much open and i didn't have many things enforced upon me but can you buy alcohol there yeah of course mm-hmm. you can do anything here i thought i thought so there's like uh there's like an nyu campus in abu dhabi and people say it's like kind of restrictive and that like there are like certain hoops you have to jump through to get like contraception or alcohol or whatever but like it's like basically available it's like basically fine i mean if you go outside the campus you can buy anything come back but uh, maybe they don't want their students to be drunk and going to their classes which makes sense (laughs) i don't know this doesn't seem to be an issue anywhere else in the nyu network but yeah, that's interesting. You have someone in NYU. Um, well, I, I went to NYU. That's why I speak about that. Yeah. Uh, I know a few people that went there because I went to NYU, like main campus in New York. 
Uh, mm. NYU Abu Dhabi is like very selective. It's also like totally free. Um, yeah. But but yeah, people. I don't know. Like they seem to have a good time there. Uh, people review it fairly positively. Yeah. Like talking but, to you. But you know. If, yeah. What's that? Like talking to you, I'm having a, a, an open, interesting conversation about these things. But if I talk to someone who says that they are religious, they will, I don't know, probably they will not be as open to discuss these things like that. And they will be judgmental or, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a very anomalous case because I am a more or less postmodern reactionary. Uh, you know, I converted to Roman Catholicism without really like being raised it in, in any sense because I thought it was true. It, it yeah. and it seems like you know not not that I do it because it's subversive. Like I do believe in it authentically as true, but at the same time, like it is like a kind of like subversive gesture to like randomly become like a serious religion in the twenty first century, not being raised with one, um, and. But yeah, I guess uh, I'm happy to end it here if you are. Yeah, me too. It was great. Cool. This Thank has been you. really, uh, really fruitful. Yeah, yeah. I love this was intense. I don't know what people will have... think when they listen to it, but I ne- I never know what people will think. I get I some hope... interesting feedback from my IRL friends that like okay, actually cool. like. Do I hope that I listen. was I hope that I was lucid enough or useful. I'm not sure. Oh, very much so. Yes. No, you're you're great. You're you're perfect the way you are thank you <laughs> do you have any uh, final remarks for the audience before we depart thank you for having me in the beautiful toilet <laughs> you're welcome for having you in the beautiful toilet thank you for coming I got an empire of emotional squads and me cruising, cruising in my go kart. I'm Warhol, I'm Warhol, I'm Wario when I'm in Mario Kart. Topping the charts, facing my cards, chop on my luck and we're running these cars. Coca Cola veins, I'm insane, trip through memory lane. Out in that rush, you know, and I see my whole white shadows. That tattoo calls right with a bad diagnose, don't feel those new weird, weird, full of motherfuck boys, casting a sad voice out in Europe, sipping crystal. I'm smoking loud with my lost boys, all this money don't make me sad though. Rob a bad to my best, bro, don't close your eyes and lean back though. Y'all ain't ready for the lean that back though. Lean, 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 hanging with my team. Cover is a heating piece and I don't live in my dreams. Don't let me down and I'm left for it if you ask me My 